Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's Not My Credit to Take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Hey, Wayne. How are you on this fine morning? I'm good, Dr. Ed Slover. How are you? I appreciate, I'm well. I appreciate you getting up. For those listening, uh, Wayne and I uh, schedule this call for five o'clock in the morning. We have competing schedules, and this was the the time we were able to to make this conversation happen. And I'm really looking forward to it. My guest today is Wayne Endicott. I recently connected with Wayne by a mutual friend and brother in Christ, Keith Lansdale, and we we made an instant connection. I listened to his interview on the Keep Hammering Collective podcast and, and knew I had to have a conversation with him. Wayne and his wife, Lisa, of 29 years, are the owners and operators of the Bow Rack, a 5,000-square-foot building in Springfield, Oregon, that hosts a huge selection of the finest archery equipment on the market today. His passion for archery, as well as how hunting has fueled the flame, along with God's blessing, which has allowed the bow rack to grow to the size that it is today. Wayne notes that the cornerstone of the bow rack is the wonderful people who make up their customer base. Through the faithful support of their customers, the bow rack continues to thrive. In addition to their work, Wayne and Lisa have five children and five grandchildren with one on the way. Wow. Wayne, your family really took the idea of be fruitful and multiply literally. <laughs> yeah, I, I came from a large blended family. So, you know, I, I, I love kids. In fact, my wife, you know, with our last one, it was, it, it, we had some pretty easy kids and then along came Savannah. And, you know, I think, I don't think she slept for the first three years of her life. And oh no, my wife and I used to talk about it and she's like, if we have another one like this, we're just going to die of insomnia. So we're done. well i really appreciate you taking time to join it's not my credit to take tell us a little bit about your background and how you eventually ended up owning the bow rack well you know i was born and raised here in in springfield oregon and uh grew up on a corporate farm and uh oh my gosh if we dig deep um you know i my my mom and dad were uh we're very moral people, um, you know, grew up in a home with, you know, no drugs, alcohol, tobacco, anything like that. My, you know, uh, my dad was born in 1917 and my mom was 10 years younger than my dad. And, um, you know, anybody that goes through the depression, you know, it, uh, if you, if you've ever had the pleasure to know anybody that really, you know, struggled during the depression, it kind of left a mark on, on those folks. And, you know, my dad was, was uh was thankful to work you know he he loved work he he was he was uh definitely a workaholic um loved to farm he was a good farmer um we raised row crop for a company called agripack which was based here in eugene um it was a cooperative he was you know the 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 growers actually owned the company uh so to speak and he was on the board of directors for like Oh my gosh, I think it was close to 40 years, something like that. And, 
you know, growing up on a row crop farm, you know, it taught us, you know, work ethic. But at the same time, my granddad, who passed away when I was, you know, almost six years old, you know, he was he was a different individual. And I knew that, you know, growing up, um, you know, that that my granddad, you know, just had, you know, something about him, you know, and passing away so, so, so young, you know, he was just a picture of love for me. My dad was um, a hard man and he was a picture of discipline for me. And, uh, you know, so growing up on a row crop farm, that work ethic that was driven into us, I mean, it wasn't uncommon for us to, you know, work seven days a week, you know, uh, you know, through the summer, you know, we were irrigation, you know, row crop minded people. We raised, you know, corn, sugar beets, uh, uh, bush beans was our big crop, which went from pole beans to bush beans, which is a whole, you know, whole different deal. Um, uh, carrots, beets, anything that you could put in a can. We even had orchards. We had cherry orchards. We had peach orchards, um, crab apple orchards, uh, you know, and they all required a lot of work. You know, I think we were farming. When my dad retired, I think we had close to 1,800 to 2,000 acres in row crop, which for row crop, that's quite a bit. And in um, any way, in, in that, in that growing up period, I was indoctrinated that my father explained to me in great detail how he grew up in the church, how he disliked the church, how at the age of 14 that he ran away every morning before, you know, on Sunday and would disappear to the river. And, uh, and he basically as a young man indoctrinated me that anything to do with church or religion was, was, was definitely in his mind something that you would avoid with everything you had in your being and boy that was that was a pill to swallow and he wouldn't let my mom I remember my mom there was a little Lutheran church in Thurston and she took the kids a couple times and I remember going to that church like once or twice when I was like maybe four or five and that was an eruption at home I mean and that was, there was no more of that. And boy, I'll tell you that um, anytime TV evangelists were on TV or anything, my dad would, you know, quickly change the channel. Um, you know, today I think I term it, you know, when I'm sharing with somebody, it's, it's the squirrel effect. I mean, they just, they're there and they're gone and they're up a tree and it's over, you know, and, uh, and anybody that's ever shared the Lord with anybody has, has experienced that with people, you know, but my dad, I remember people would try to share with my father, you know, when I was very young, if we ran into another farmer that was a believer or anything, sometimes he would respect it, but he would change the subject as quick as he could, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and would run from it with everything he had. So, you know, with my upbringing, you know, in, in that portion of it, of my faith, you know, everything about, you know, my home life was wonderful. Um, my mom and dad had conflict. We had a blended family. You know, there was a lot of conflict at home, everything that you could imagine that would go along with nine kids um, in, in, in two, two relationships. Or my dad had actually had been married uh, several times before. And my mom's uh, first husband passed away. And uh, she had... She had uh, four children and my dad had four children. 
And so, you know, the household with me that made nine, I was the last of the Mohicans, the only one of that blended. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and of course, growing up, um, I survived my, my older brothers and sisters too. That was an accomplishment, <laughs> that, but that was an accomplishment, you know, um, several trips to what was the ER back then and, and being ran over at the age of two with a pickup that I got somehow tied to the back bumper of and then drug. I mean, it was quite the upbringing, um, broken jaw, um, you know, my head cracked open several times. I can blame all my, uh, my shortcomings on, uh, on surviving my, my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your, your dad, his, uh -huh. his dislike of the church right. and then subsequent avoidance of it. Do you happen to know? So two part question. Do you happen to know where that stemmed from? Did he disclose that to you? And then later in life, was he able to find the Lord before he died? Um, yeah. So he, he very, my dad was very detailed in everything that he would sit me down and talk to me for, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes at a time, periodically, you know, not daily, but, you know, pretty periodically. I mean, I'd say once a week and all the stories of his childhood. So he didn't like the fire and brimstone message. He told me, he said that the preachers would hit the pulpit, you know, and I mean, we're talking, you know, if he was born in 1917 and he started running away from church when he was 13. So, you know, this is the late twenties, early thirties, you know, that this has taken place. And, you know, um, you know, probably in that time period, you know, that was, that was a, that was a, the hardcore message that was coming across at the Thurston Christian church that, that my grandfather helped found and, uh, and, and spoke in periodically. And I'm sure my, he never mentioned my, my grandfather as being that person that, that was that evangelist, but my grandfather did evangelize and speak and, and, and would travel around to different churches and speak. But, um, he didn't like it. And he started running away on Sunday mornings. He would, he told me, he goes, I would run to the river. I would get up early and I would go to the river, which, you know, in Springfield, Oregon, in that period of time, there was nobody, this was pretty much wilderness. There was one main street and a few, uh, a few mills, lumber mills, which was what this country is built on is wood products. And there wasn't a lot of people that lived here. And, uh, there was a little community, Cedar Flats. That's where they grew up. That's where my granddad had a roadside fruit stand. He was a farmer as well. And so having the farm, dad would escape. And one of the things that impressed him the most that he used to repeat to me all the time is the women in the church would catch him in town. And, you know, if, you, if you're walking home from Springfield, which Cedar Flats is about a three-mile walk from downtown Springfield, um, four miles uh he he said that those women would catch him and they would say and his i'm wayne jr so he's wayne senior and he they would go wayne they go you are going to go to hell unless you start coming back to church and he said it it there was there wasn't a lot of love and my dad would just be scared to death with the message that they were you know impressing on him and he didn't like it and, and he, it just drove him further away um, from the church. And uh, 
And subsequently, you know, all through his life, in fact, when I received the Lord, which, you know, I'll share here in a little bit, um, he made the statement to a brother-in-law that he said that he would have rather saw me get involved in drugs and alcohol than, than get involved in religion. That's how really? that's rooted he was. Now, as time went on, you know, my dad and I grew very close, you know, as he aged, um, especially the years after I, I graduated high school and, and went off into my own, you know, um, endeavors, uh, adventure and employment as it was until I bought my archery shop 33 years ago. Um, we, he grew, we grew, he grew to respect and, and, uh, and, and our, our bond became closer. And in his final days, you know, I, uh, I shared with him a lot, you know, and I just loved on him. And, you know, I had a lot of time to say goodbye to my father. And so, you know, I would love to see him in heaven. You know, ultimately, it was his decision in his heart, you know, that, but, you know, to my knowledge, you know, he never made that hard, you know, conversion in my time period, but he may have did it on his own. And that's the only thing I can hope for now. My mom, on the other hand, I mean, when I received the Lord, I mean, she listened to, she saw the, she saw the change in me and, and, you know, it wasn't probably set five or six Sundays after I'd given my heart to the Lord and I watched her, you know, give her heart to the Lord and just serve God for the rest of her days. I mean, she's a precious woman of God. Painted a lot of churches in Springfield. She did. That's great. Knowing how influential dads are in the lives of their kids, particularly their sons, mm -hmm. what was it that allowed you to ultimately be brought to Jesus or have you know Jesus find you, however, uh, however you want to phrase that? Because, you know, for me, my story, my dad died when I was 13, so I didn't have that that influence in my life positively or negatively. Right. But with, with regard to faith and, and your dad's position on that, that, that seems like something that would be difficult to overcome. How were, how were you able to do that? Well, you know, it's kind of a two part deal. You know, I think I was probably six years old, you know, and, and, you know, I remember, I remember this very clearly and I didn't remember it for several years after I gave my heart and life to Christ. Um, but, I was probably six years old and one day I just was running through the house and we had, we had a TV and it was always on. I had two stations. None of them came, neither one, you know, channel nine and channel 13 and neither one came in good. Um, but I ran in the house one day and there was a Billy Graham crusade on TV. And for whatever reason, I just hit the brakes, you know, and, uh, and I, I, and they were, they were explaining, you know, basically given an altar call and explaining, salvation I never heard it and and I was on board I was like I want to go to heaven I, I, I'm, I'm all about this as a six-year-old kid you know and I'm like and and I I don't know if I repeated a sinner's prayer or anything I don't remember that you know but I just remember stalling for you know maybe three minutes of my young life and recognizing that I needed salvation. And I think, you know, definitely, you know, that was a stepping stone. But uh, how I came to Christ was, I was my senior year in, in high school, and I was the worst kid imaginable. And, you know, my mom and dad reminded me of it 
periodically. <laughs> and I was, I was a hundred percent rebellious. I couldn't, you couldn't have ran down a road. I was rebellious to my parents, disobedient to them. I worked on the farm. I was the worst kid there. I mean, even the, uh, my dad had probably, they had three full-time hired men and one guy that had been with them a long time. And they absolutely hated my guts. I mean, I could destroy more equipment on that farm. I was just, I was just the worst kid, ran after everything. Um, we won't go deep into it, just everything a teenage kid would be into um, that you could possibly imagine that was going the wrong direction. I mean, if I could only imagine the pain I caused my, especially my mother. I mean, she used to sit me down and tell me that I had the possibility to be the greatest kid on earth and I was the rottenest kid on earth. And, uh, and so I was attracted to a gal in high school and her, her, her father, you know, was uh, an ex Pentecostal pastor and they were deep rooted in, in uh, the assembly of God church and Bethel assembly got here in Springfield, Jim Belmore, he was a pastor. Of course I was just, you know, chasing skirt. And so I just followed her to church and I never outside of that, couple times when I was just really young that went to the Lutheran church, I think once or twice, I had never been inside those walls. And I walked in and instantly I didn't like anything about it. And I remember the very first service I was at, the song service is going on and everybody's singing and they get their hands up. <laughs> Why? You know, what are they doing? Is it supposed to rain in here? Or what? What? <laughs> And then they get done and they're silenced for a little bit and they're playing the organ. And I never forget this white haired lady stood up and she started speaking in tongues. And I was like, okay, whatever that is, it's, it's against everything that's inside of me. And I am upside down right now. Wanted to get out of there, but I had people sitting on both sides of me. And, and one thing I think that, if I was given, if God gave me any gift, it was like, I had to be honest with myself. So it started there. Why didn't I like it? You know, why did this bother me? I mean, if I really believed what I, whatever, I didn't have any beliefs, but, you know, I think I believed in God, you know, I had a basic, you know, if you're an unbeliever, I think you're imprinted, you know, on your heart that I knew what shame was. I knew what sin was. I mean, nobody has to tell anybody there's a, they're a sinner, right? Really, we're, we're imprinted with that. But I didn't know why I didn't like all this. And, and I just had to be honest with myself, why? And, it, you know, time went on. And for whatever reason, I must have liked this girl. I did like this girl. I kept coming back, you know, with her to this church. And youth pastor got a hold of me and he asked me the simple question. He goes, Wayne, he goes, uh, he goes, if you died, you know, are, are you going to go to heaven or hell? And I'm like, well, there's no choice for me. I'm, I'm going to go to hell. I go, I'm not like these people. I'm, I'm, I'm not that person. I mean, you know, and, and so he started sharing with me, you know, just the basic gospel. And, and it wasn't until actually that girl, um, that I was with, she actually, you know, prayed me through the salvation one day at my house, sitting outside on a rock wall. And that was the most dynamic experience because I had never said that Jesus was Lord. I ne that had never come out of my mouth. Um, it never even entered my heart. Um, and when I, 
I, when I just repeated after when I prayed that I was full of demons. I mean, I, I know this for a fact because it felt like hot air went out of me and, and I felt clean, like ultimately clean for the first time in my life. I mean, there was, it wasn't a, there was any doubt in what had taken place. I felt physically weak and after the experience, but I felt clean and I felt like there had been a change in my life, like no other. I mean, it was such a dynamic experience and it wasn't in a church setting. It wasn't a bunch of people laying hands on me. It was one girl that believed, knew what she believed and knew that I needed salvation and felt led you know, by the Holy Spirit to pray with me. And I never really ever prayed. And it was, it, 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 it I, I couldn't even explain it. And I had no knowledge. I mean, I had never even heard a verse out of the Bible. You know, I had never picked up a Bible in my life. You know, um, you know, I think my dad said he was, he didn't need church because he lived by the golden rule or whatever that was. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> You know, but, uh, and which comes was, from the Bible, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. And, uh, you know, it was it was just unique. Um, it was it was so crazy. It, it impacted me my whole life. And then as I learned, you know, that that Christ had came in and, you know, I had been washed by the blood and, and redeemed in that moment. You know, I learned that later. It, it just it made perfect sense for the experience. And then, you know, no matter where you stand on your doctrine, it was probably, and, and the reason why I sit preference that for a foundation is about six or seven months later, I, I had been, you know, I, I got involved in the church, I, I got baptized, you know, and everything, but I never really, nobody ever really mentored me, you know, on prayer. I had a lot of people pray with me. But honestly, this is as honest as I can be. I was afraid to pray because of that experience. And it was probably six months later. And I went down and I graduated high school. And my dad, it was in the summertime and his crops were burning up. And he called me and I'd gotten a job as a welder uh, for a, a, a farming manufacturing outfit here in Eugene. Um, and, uh, that's where I was working. He called me over the weekend. He's like, son, my, my crops are going to burn it up. He goes, I, I have a, I don't have any irrigation crew. Can you come move irrigation pipe for a weekend and, and help me get caught up on irrigation? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. So I, I, I left and worked all day and of course had dinner with the folks and they had a little camper pickup that, you know, I, I would live in, in the summertime, even when I was a teenager. So I went out and and, you know, was laying there and it just, I didn't get on my knees. I was just laying in this camper and I'm just like, I, I came to a point of honesty and I just like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church. And, you know, this is the first time I'm really going to pray this prayer, but I need to know that you're real, you know, for me to invest my time and effort into this and somehow give up this great life of sin that I knew before that I was experiencing that that's still drawing me and has a great draw and a great temptation for me. Um, I need to know, you know, without a doubt that something's real here. 
And that's all I prayed. It was just as honest and short as that. And I don't know how long it lasted, but it was like the Lord picked me up and I was gone. I was gone for a period of time. And, and when I came out of it, I was, I jumped up in that camper and I ran outside and it was a beautiful August, you know, it was probably July or August night. And I looked up at the stars and it was just a beautiful night. It was in, it was our farm in Corvallis. We had one up in McKinsey and we had one in Corvallis and it was in Corvallis. And I looked up at those stars and for the very first time in my life, I'm like, God's real. And everybody that would listen to me for a period of about four years, and I was the most ignorant Christian ever, I would just tell them that God was real, you know, and, and what, what had taken place in my life. And, and, you know, of course it was never, it was never quite as strong, but when I prayed after that, you know, I, I had similar experiences after that, you know, and it was just, it was just awesome. The power of the Holy Spirit that just came into me and, and oh my gosh, I mean, you know, that impacted me for my whole life. Did I, in, and in, in, in a nutshell, that's kind of my salvation and my, my experience. Did I fall away from the Lord later on? I did. It's the biggest regret in my life. Um, Wayne, before we go down that yeah. road, because I, I, that one of the questions I have for you is, has your faith ever wavered? Your story, however, is really resonated with a story that I heard of a, a, a mentor of mine tell when you had the conversation with that young lady and you felt as if demons were expelled from you right. in, 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 you know, exchange for the Holy spirit coming into your life. She told me this story once that there was a young man right around the age of 17, who was an exceptional rock band drummer. And he, he grew up in the church with his family, but you know, he, he, like your dad, didn't go anywhere near the whole fire and brimstone thing that didn't appeal to him. He was such a good drummer, he got invited to an audition in Los Angeles. He makes his way to Los Angeles. He's got the invitation in hand. He walks to the, the gangway of this yacht, hands the invitation to the security guard, and is promptly told, under no circumstances are you allowed on this boat. And he's like, well, wait, I have this invitation. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying out. He's like, under no circumstances are you allowed on this boat. You don't know what takes place on this boat. And you have the blood of Jesus on you. And if I let you on this boat, you'll infect everyone on this boat. Oh, my gosh. And I didn't, when I heard this story, I didn't know how... I didn't know how to internalize that. It, 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 it turns out that the 17-year-old recommitted himself to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he had an undiagnosed heart condition and passed away th three months after that experience. Oh, my gosh. But he had effectively renounced God until that one experience. And I didn't realize that... <sighs> I, I, maybe in the back of my mind, I believe that that was a thing, but to hear that story and to hear what, how you described your salvation story, mm -hmm. just like the, the, we are absolutely in, in, in a spiritual war. Do you, I mean, do you agree with that idea? Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, um, I, 
I, I ward, you know, when I, when I, when I first got, you know, after the, all those experiences in, in my long, young Christianity, and I, I've heard other believers talk about this where, you know, they would wake up and they would have an experience where, you know, they were fighting something and they couldn't speak, you know, and something, you know, was, 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 was fighting for them. And I, I experienced that at a, as a young age. And it took me, you know, in my young Christianity, it took me a while. And I think it was just, you know, whatever was going on in the, in, in the spiritual warfare was, you know, was, was real. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of stuff there and talk about rock music. Um, you know, moving irrigation pipe. I had these guys and, and Bill Johnson, um, he worked for me his his nickname was Fuge. Um, He's a great believer now. He's a Christian brother. And I couldn't believe it, you know, some 25 or 30 years later after this experience I'm going to tell you about. Um, he, 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 he's a bow hunter. He came to the shop and he's like, wait, I'm a, I'm a Christian believer. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. But those guys went to work for, for me probably when he went, to, he went to work for my dad. And I used to run the irrigation crew at the young age of 14, which that was a that was a riot um and so i'd have like 14 teenagers and we were all moving irrigation pipe and i was supposed to be their boss which oh that gave my dad giant headaches on the farm but uh you know we were just a riot crew we got a lot of work done but we were a mess um but they scalped tickets at every rock concert in portland and there was a Portland Coliseum, there was a Jansen Beach Center, and then there was this other place. And I mean, anytime any rock group that came to Portland between 1975 and, and about 1978 probably was the last one I went to, I was there scalping tickets at the front door with these guys that worked for me on the irrigation crew. And my mom would, I remember my mom, she'd like, I remember the first time I went to her and I'm like, mom, I need an advance on my paycheck. It was like making three fifty an hour or $3 and 90 cents an hour back then or something. And it's like, what are you going to do with it? You know, it's like typical mom is like, what are you going to do with it? And I go, mom, these guys, you know, bill that works for us, moving irrigation pipe. I go, they scalp tickets in Portland. And we're going to go buy all these tickets and then we're going to scalp them at the door. And back then rock tickets were like, $7.95 for a ticket. And we would sell them for $20. And we were entrepreneurs, man. We were making some money. And it was easy money. because, And then you would make more money closer to the time the concert was getting ready to start because, you know, all the money guys would come in and they'd have their girlfriend. You know, we, we, we would make sometimes $40 a ticket. And, uh, and it was it – was, but, but being involved in that whole rock scene – Oh my gosh. I mean, that only added to, to my possession because I mean, I remember one of the first things I did as a young Christian is I took, I, 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 I just renounced all my music and, you know, I burnt all my, you know, back then it was, uh, we went to cassette tapes, but we used to have the big, you know, big cassette tapes. And then we went to the little ones and I remember burning all those and getting rid of it. And then, Bob Larson had a book on rock and, and I remember buying that and reading it. And then just, I was just enamored, you know, with like, these guys were all, you know, devil worshipers, you know, and oh my gosh, I think, you know, Jimmy plant bought Anton LaVey's house or something like that. I remember, I remember all this stuff, you know, and, 
on that in that book of rock and i was just like oh, it was just all the deception that i was all you know wrapped up in in this rock music you know but anyway you know when you mentioned that it just it just sparked all that history you know and so um to this day i i i can i i still remember all those old rock concerts and saw kiss and cheap trick and and van halen and oh my gosh i mean all the all the major groups back in the day and for all those poor guys now they can partly put a sentence together i think except for ted nugent and ted nugent and i became friends in later years you know and his wife shemaine i mean you know she's shemaine nugent she's just sold out for the lord 100 percent and his podcasts and and has all kinds of stuff going on and she's just she's just running hard after jesus and you know, I think, I think, yeah, uh, I think about about 50, 15 years ago, I, I was invited to go see Motley Crue and <laughs> it, 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 it's a really sobering experience to see men in their late fifties or early sixties wearing vinyl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. And you're like, they get halfway through the song like, Oh yeah, I think I know which one that was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I, 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 but anyway, yeah, it's it's it, it's all history. But you know, if if they came to Portland during that period of time, you know, we were there and we were there scalping tickets. And so that whole rock scene, there was nothing positive that came from that. Nothing. Yeah. And I mean, it's nothing like the music today. Today, it's it's just changed completely. I mean, it's it's 100 sold out for Satan. I mean, you know, it's just yeah. it, it's all over social media. You know, it's like there's no bones about it. I mean, and even the artists, you know, they're they don't make any bones about it. I mean, they've got they just confess that they've sold their soul to the devil for fame. You know, it's it's like right on their lips. It's right. You know, they're they're 100 percent honest with it. Yeah. Yeah. So you you have this experience when it, that July or August summer night where you lay down and. You're just like, all right, God, I need to know that you're real. Mm -hmm. And then you're transported. That led you to, to whenever you sort of like re regain consciousness. I don't know what the, the right terminology would be. Right. And, then, and then you go outside and you look up. And I mean, this experience was transformative. And now we have to you know, move forward with daily life. Has... You know, at any point throughout the years, has your has your faith in God ever wavered? Well, you know, from that experience on, what changed there is, you know, I I was hungry for any everything and anything, you know, that had to do with the Lord. You know, so like back in that day, there wasn't, you know, there was no internet, there was there wasn't no computers, there was was even emails. You know, the technology back then was you would buy cassette tapes. And so I remember I got enamored with Jimmy Swaggart. I even went to his crusade at the same Coliseum. I went to all those Portland Coliseum. He, he had a crusade there and I bought his whole tapes and I could, just couldn't believe that this guy could just reiterate so much scripture from memory and, and, you know, anything to do. I was just hungry. Anything on the radio, Christian radio, you know, uh, Keith Green and Petra and any of the, you know, any of the old, you know, contemporary Christian music at the time, you know, I just loved it. I mean, it was a transformation, you know, from the dark side to the light 
in in a manner that I, I loved singing at church and I grew to love worship and everything. And and the girl that led me to to the Lord there, um, we wound up getting married and and uh, it was it was a rough relationship um, because of course she had been involved with me you know, before and after, and, you know, just through a series of events, we divorced after, I think, four and a half or five years of marriage. It was really rough. At fault, 100% on my side, you know, um, because we had a rough relationship, you know, there had been, and I don't want to delve into it, um, you know, it's just, you know, there's failures in relationships, and I, it was a failure and it, and, and it bothered me a lot because there was a lot of condemnation there. And, and I dove out into other relationships and of course that didn't jive with, you know, with, you know, my, my Christianity, my belief, my, you know, and so I found myself like grieving all the time and, and on my knees grieving about, you know, my failure, my destruction of my marriage. Um, I had two children and they were young and I was just like, how am I going to be a father? And now I have child support and I had bought my archery shop. I had just bought my archery shop and archery wasn't paying the bills, you know, like they needed to be paid for child support and me trying to live some lifestyle that I thought I needed to live and, and not serving the Lord. And, you know, wound up living with one of my high school buddies, Jeff Brooks, um, and another friend, Brian Conlon. We'd all gotten divorced at the same time. Three of us living together, all three of us backslidden believers. You know, Jeff was a big young life leader. And I was just talking to a fellow about this yesterday. Um, of course, you know, we're, we're now single men in our 20s. Um, divorced with kids looking for love in all the wrong places. So I think that's a, I think that's some country music song. Cause I think I heard it and there was a bar downtown that was a country bar and they did all this line dancing and it was all new. And we were, we, we showed up there one night and, uh, and Jeff was my, my friend, Jeff Brooks, who was the young life leader. He, he was a cowboy type of guy. I wasn't really a cowboy. I could, dress it up, but I was no, cow I was no urban cowboy. And, uh, we showed up there and it wasn't like we just automatically changed and gave my life to the Lord at this point. But I stand in there with Jeff and everybody's line dancing, the whole shebang's going on and, and the Holy spirit, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It doesn't set you free. It'll make you free and you're free indeed. Right. The Holy spirit never leaves you. And, I'm standing there watching all this going on and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I looked at Jeff and I go, this is a den of iniquity. There's nothing here that's positive. There's nothing here that's going to be anything that's going to produce any fruit in my life. And he's looking at me and he's like, why are you talking to me about this? I go, because it's in my heart right now. And I go, I cannot talk to you about this. I go, I go, I'm leaving. And he goes, dude, you're killing me. And I'm like, I can't help it. And he goes, okay, I'm leaving too. <laughs> and it wasn't like we just turned our life around and rededicated our life to the Lord right then. 
it was a grieving period of time in my life that went on way too long. And uh, I was in and out of all these relationships over a period of years, working, you know, several jobs. And, you know, I was always really sensitive to the Lord, you know, in fact, I'd have a wrong relationship and I'd try to pray with the gal after, you know, the obvious would take place. And I remember different women that I was dating or with, and they weren't believers. And they would look at me like I was out of my mind. And they're like, what's wrong with you? And I go, well, I, I, I am, I, I'm a Christian and this is wrong. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just convicted right now. And they're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and they just, they just, there was nothing plugging in from their side. And I hadn't shared the Lord with them. I mean, I was there for a selfish reason. And, and then the Lord would just convict me and be all over me. And, and I mean, of course, many of those relationships just ended um, right then. And, and for the best probably. And I remember my daughter was, and, and I shared this with my daughter. I my life was just a train wreck and the Lord was all over me, calling me back. And I just had just an absolute wreck of my life. And I remember I was sitting on the front porch one time and my little daughter came up and, and my daughter, Brittany, she was always sensitive to the Lord. And, you know, from a very young age and she came up and she put her hand on my shoulder and she just starts praying for me. And she knew I was grieving. And, and, uh, and she goes, she goes, Dad, can I pray for you? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And she started praying. She had this little prayer. And she goes, I just pray that the Lord would just send you an angel from heaven that would love you and take care of you and that would, you know, bring you out of what you're going through. And it was just a simple little prayer, but I never forgot it. It's like those things that had just are milestones in your life. And and I think two days later, I met my wife and we've been married 29 years and and she is an angel sent from heaven. And we, we definitely marched to a completely different drum. And everybody that knows my wife, I mean, she she's a jewel. I mean, um, and she's part of the reason I, I'm, uh, you know, a big reason for who I am. Because the Lord knew, knew I needed somebody that, that was really going to be, you know, a real helpmate in my life. And she has been, and she's been, she's been my rock and everything, you know. Um, I couldn't be more thankful for, for the woman I'm married to. And, uh, and she's just, she's just been sunshine, you know, in, in my life ever since. And, uh, and, and has really led me, you know, in, in the path, led me to a path of repentance. We started going back, you know, to church because the church I was going to when I, and I totally understand this. They were very, very shepherding church, you know, that we were going to. And, um, I'm, you know, after my divorce, and of course, we counseled and everything before the divorce. And, and uh, it was Eugene Christian Fellowship and Gary there. He was a good man of God. And he, he, he just, he was just straight with me. He's like, Wayne, he goes, I really don't think that you should attend here. And he, and, and, it, and, and he was correct. I mean, he was correct in that rebuke because, I mean, I, and I 100% agreed with him. You know, I'm like, Gary, I know. I, I'm like, at this point in my life, I, I really agree with you. You know, and uh, and it didn't. In the Lord was like speaking to me at the same time. You know, it's like, yeah, you you know, you're not worthy to be through these doors right here as long as you decide to, you know, to live in this fashion. You know, because all you're going to do is affect the rest of the congregation. And they had, you know, unfortunately, they had a wave of all these young couples that were divorcing. Very few of them, you know, 
in that church actually survived that period of time. In fact, I, I know a bunch of them that did, and you know, a bunch of them that did. But uh, anyway, that that kind of was the path to to where I am today. And uh, there was definitely different points in my life. Um, if you watched that podcast with Cameron Haynes, I think I there was a very very pointed one that you know it's easy to cruise in Christianity, you know, and I think everybody senses the sense of urgency now. I mean, more than anything, but this story took place three or four years ago, but that, that experience um, that I explained on that podcast, and I don't know if we want to get into that, but that, that really, you know, stepped everything up to a different level. I'd love to hear that story. And for the listeners, the podcast is called the Keep Hammering Collective Podcast. And it's, it's one of the first or second podcasts that Cameron did in uh, in interviewing you. And that, that story that you told is extraordinarily powerful. So, so I'd, I'd love for you to tell it here. Okay. Um, you know, I was actually, I think I was, was Cam's 12th guest, but you know, if you don't know who Cameron Haynes is and you're watching this podcast, we were, we've been, you know, from very, very young men just out of high school, we've been friends. And of course, everything that ties me and a lot of people together is is archery archery is a big family it's all knitted together and cam you know very accomplished man came from nothing and has elevated himself he's good friends with joe rogan he is the most famous bow hunter that there is in our industry um there's a lot of you know guys that you know have a and and cam kind of wrote the book on social media um presence and 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 promoting you know with self-promotion and everything in fact i have this is kip folk he was he was on and this is cam's book endure a little shameless plug cam's an author he's 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 authored three books um you know he's he's a self-taught you know, hard driven individual. And I'm proud to be his friend. Um, he's an ultra marathoner. So that's the connection. He's, he's like one of the most accomplished bow hunters there is in the industry. And he's an ultra, he's an ultra guy. He runs hundred milers. He's done the Moab two two forty. you know, running 240 miles in the Moab desert, Utah. Um, he's got lots of accomplishments like that. He runs every day. Sometimes he'll run three marathons or four marathons a week. Um, the, oh, in fact, yesterday, um, uh, this collective, we had, we had, uh, uh, a fella that, um, uh, Matthew Korowitz, he was here. They tried to break the record and they missed it by two seconds on the mile relay, four man mile relay. They missed oh, it. Oh no. This, this kid can run sub, sub three minute or, uh, sub four minute. I think you, you three, three eighty five miles. I mean, it's insane. I mean, that kid's so fast, but I worked with him yesterday, but everybody that comes through this collective, you know, whether it's, he's had a lot of UFC fighters, uh, uh, Natalie from, oh my gosh, she was a character, Natalie Marie. She, the WWE gal, she was a lot of fun. Uh, Dale Brisby, he, he's, he was a lot of fun. We've had all these, you know, people that are, you know, social media influencers and famous people. 
um, you know, come through. Kip Falk, owner of Under Armour, he was just here. Kip, Kip and I have known each other for years. But um, hunted together last year. It was fun. But anyway, all these people are coming through this collective. So I was actually, you know, very honored that Cam asked me to do it because I didn't. I'm, I'm just a shop owner, you know, and we've been friends for a long time. So in this, in this podcast, you know, toward how in the world we did two hours and 40 minutes, but towards the end, I mean, Cam just turned me loose. And of course, you know, the Lord started, you know, I, I, I don't actually, I know I told this story, but this has been, I think Carl's been gone three and a half or four years now, but Carl Woolley was one of my neighbors. Um, and I knew Carl. He used to come to all our barbecues. Good-hearted guy. His son was in my archery classes, my kids' archery classes that I do, uh, kids' archery league. And uh, and Carl was just a good guy in a lot of ways, you know, just a good giving guy. And uh, and he'd actually worked for us um, as a family. We had some timber property that my father had, and Carl was a logger and had a big logging operation. Carl came out and logged on our property and. And so I had a lot of involvement with Carl and, uh, and Scott Whiteley, you know, in fact, right before Carl got sick, he called me and, and he's like, Hey, we've got a mountain lion in my backyard. He goes, you gotta come over and try to call this thing in. He goes, it's terrorizing the whole neighborhood. Like, you know, it's, I remember we were, you know, I went over there and tried. And of course that's, that's like trying to make, you know, calling mountain lines. It's like trying to make lightning strike in front of you on command at 30 yards. You know, it just, it's happened that it, it, for me as a hunter, it doesn't happen very often. And I try, but anyway, it didn't happen. And I remember having the discussion at Carl's house, you know, it came out, he's always just a, you know, fun, loving, joyous guy, you know, well, Scott Whiteley, a mutual friend, Scott called me and he goes, Hey, you hear Carl's sick. And I'm like, I hadn't heard that. Huh? And he's like, he's got, he's got colon cancer. And I go, well, how's he doing? And they go, well, he's just, he's in treatment. And uh, so time went on and, and I hadn't run into Carl. And, and, uh, and, you know, I asked Scott again, I go, well, how's Carl doing? And I goes, well, he's in remission. I think he's doing a lot better. And then I saw Carl, I was just in passing. He was at a little market in Cedar Flats getting fuel and he was driving his work truck and we waved. And I'm like, well, he's, he's doing better, you know? And I hadn't heard anything for a while. And it was probably, it was probably in the spring or summer. I was driving home from work and had been, you know, our springs and summers, you know, it's not uncommon to work 11, 12 hour days. And, and I'll, and I remember this, you know, very vividly, I'm coming around the corner in Cedar Flats and Carl lives right there. He's got a, he's got his logging operation, his shops, and he's got a nice house and, you know, fairly large property. And I'm, I'm coming around that corner and the Lord just spoke to me and I'm his, it's like when this happens, I mean, you don't, you don't not hear it. Or it's like, you, you need to stop and pray for Carl. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm arguing with the Lord instantly. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm tired. It's going to be awkward. He's going to pull in. And it's like, maybe he's, he's doing better. I heard he was in remission. He's doing better. You know, I'm having this whole discussion with the Lord, you know, and I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. But I it's not today. Not tonight. I go, there'll be a better time. There'll be a better time. And, you know, I said, go home and forget about it. And, uh, and, and I wake up, you know, the next morning and it's probably mid morning and, uh, and Scott calls me and, you know, Whiteley and I, we, we, we've been, we went to high school together. We've been longtime brothers and, you know, Scott's a, you know, believer. And, 
and we've been longtime brothers. And Scott calls me. This is the same fellow that kind of been keeping me in tune on Carl's condition. And Scott calls me. And he's like, "Wayne, did you hear the news?" And I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, what's what's up?" And he goes, "He was Carl passed away this morning." And I'm like, "You know, I I go, Scott, I I got I gotta go." And I just hung up. And uh, and and I was I was pretty much on my knees instantly, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm I am reeling. And Lord just like undoubtedly spoke to me. He's like, "Okay." He goes, "This is the deal." You know, when when I when I give you, you know, a prompting <laughs> that I need you to do something, you need to be obedient. And, you know, I think as believers, we go through life and, and we kind of discover obedience because we have a good father, you know, and Jesus loves us and, and he's gentle, you know, and he, he's persuasive and he's gentle. But, you know, the more we, we kind of open ourselves up, the more, you know, he's able to use us. And, and it changed my life again. I mean, at that point and. There was nothing more. I failed miserably. I failed, and and you know it it started it's it started a street ministry for me that lasted a couple of years. Um, our downtowns changed. There used to be homeless camps. It 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 started. Uh, I had I had two different facets of that because the Lord just like one day you know shortly after that I'm in church and. And uh, worship gets over, and this fellow, Tim Fish, he's part of our men's group now, he turns around and he goes, what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? And I'm like, you really want to know? Because the Lord was just speaking to me. And he, he, he goes, yeah. I go, I'm supposed to buy pizzas and go run a bunch of flyers around. at the home. There was a big homeless camp in Eugene. It was underneath Washington Jefferson Street. It was a great ministry opportunity. Um and I go, I'm supposed to get pizzas delivered down there and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to jump up and do some evangelism evangelism. He goes, Lord told me I'm supposed to go with you. And and Tim and Thomas show up and and it, it turned into a whole summer of ministry that was incredible. Um, you know, there was a lot of people that were involved in it by the time it was done and and uh, some of the people that were in the homeless camp in Washington Jefferson Street, you know, um, David and Sandra Perkins, they're, they they were there, there's like the Lord gave us favor like the first time we went down there and gave us just giant favor, and uh, we met this David and Sandra and all those homeless camps have like a community. They're like a community, and there's like people that are respected that lead those camps and and. David and Sandra show up right away and David shows up and he starts serving pizza to people. And, you know, I'm like, this guy, who's, who's this brother? And, and it just went from there to just great things. I mean, we had the opportunity to pray for over probably over 120, 130 people over the summer that want, that wanted prayer. You know, most of them really strung out on drugs and the Lord kind of gave me a vision that, you know, that ministry field is like, you're like a civil war medic because you're out on the battlefield after the battle's over. And there's some that are bleeding out. They're not, they're, they don't need your attention because they're not going to make it. They're too far gone, but there's others that, you know, are wounded in the leg or they're you know wounded in the shoulder and they're going to make it. 
but they need you. They need your, they need some attention and uh, they need the one tool that you can use is prayer, you know? And, uh, and we had some, we learned, it was a learning opportunity every other Thursday. Um, I would, you know, like on Tuesday or Wednesday, I would run and I would just hand write on paper what, what it was going to be. Pizza and socks is what we graduated to. Pizza, free pizza and socks and a word of hope. And it would just make it and draw a little map and, you know, hand them all out. I'm a runner, so I would go run the camp in the morning. And it was rare I ever ran the camp where I didn't find somebody that that I needed prayer too. Like one morning, this young kid's just thrashing his 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 tent and a rub. I go, buddy, buddy, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on? Are you okay? And he's just turns around and by the time we're done, he's just crying. I'm praying for. It was just precious stuff like that. And you had to be secure with who you're doing because I mean, there was times I was down there and you know, one of my ministry guys, you know, because it it started out with three of us and it grew to like a dozen of us. And, you know, not everybody was really ready for it. I mean, I had one of my guys run up to me and he's like, guy just threw a rock at me, hit me in the leg, it hurt. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. I mean, you know, you, he was, he was stressed about it, you know? And I was like, okay, you just got to be good with it. I mean, you know, we're supposed to be joyous about persecution. I mean, you got to be good with it. You know, it's like shrug it off, you know, it's okay. You know, you're doing something right. Right. And, and there was times that, that, you know, the Lord, there was one time I remember, you know, I, I, I kind of was different with my evangelism. I just told, I told parable stories. I mean, there's, there's some great ones. And, uh, and, 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 and then I would, I would switch it over to John three sixteen just really super, you know, easy message that, you know, thief of the thieves on the cross and, and then just make an appeal. And I mean, there was one time that the Lord just moved and, and there's a kid. And I mean, these guys, these homeless people, they're, they're hungry. I mean, this kid's strung out. And I mean, like I finish and I go, well, we're going to pray for people. If you need prayer, please. And this kid's in my arms. And, and, and then there were, you know, I prayed for him. You could, they didn't have cell phones. There was no way to stay in contact with them, you know. But, you know, one plant, you know, one man plants, another man waters, and God gives the increase, you know. And it was such a precious time. And and then last summer, I was just, they, they, had, they had the Olympic trials and the World Games and everything came to Eugene. And they fenced off Washington Jefferson Street and dispersed all the homeless. And then I had another corner downtown. It was Broadway and Olive. And that was a more, that was a more challenge. And I would, I wouldn't take the crew there. I would just go down there and I would haul pizzas in there. And, uh, and I would, I, I would evangelize that corner. And I called them the Antifa kids. They were more of a challenge, but it was more on point. You had to be on point and they, they would spar with you. And it was always good. You know, it was always good. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we just had these giant conversions and people were giving their heart life to Christ. And, you know, but, but it was good. I mean, it was good. I saw men, I saw bikers, I saw Antifa kids. I saw everything that would just, I would, they were captured, you know, for a period of time with, with, with a story, just a story, a parable that was a parallel truth. And I would drop it right into John three sixteen, And this is how much God loves you. And, and, and the thief on the cross, it had nothing more to do than to say, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? A, a small defense for Christ. And then just that simple, 
that, that simple request and then what the Lord said to him and people would listen. And, and, you know, I could see, I had, I've never, the, the Broadway and Olive one, I went down there and I'm like, I'm a hunter by nature. So I would go scout, you know, and I remember the first time I went to Broadway and Olive street, um, it was dynamic because I'm watching everything that's going on. There's a, there's a skinhead guy and a, a, a dreadlock guy and they're fighting and there's probably 50 people on this corner and it's just a gathering. There's a, there's a convenience market on one side and there's a bar on the other. And there's, it's kind of like a downtown mall type of thing. And there's fights going on. Everybody's loaded. And here comes this gal and her name was uh, Kendra. And she walks up and she's got like a two or three year old. And there's like, before she can get through the crowd, there's five different men that kiss her. And the Lord just said, you need to talk to her. She walks into that convenience market and I walk in there and I go, excuse me. I go, would, would there ever be a, a good time to like buy food for everybody? like pizza and, and come just share a word of hope. And she looked at me and she goes, you, you do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, um, and of course I would never go to these things dressed. I would dress like, and I had a backpack. I can fit in pretty good. I, I let this grow and, and, and I got a ratty hat and man, I can, I can dress up on my old hunting gear and, and I fit the part. Because they won't accept you if you if you if, if you dress you know they're not going to accept you. So I look like them, and and it's easy it's easy to fit in, and I could be that person pretty easy. Uh, and so um, I was asking her this, and she goes, "Well, how about now?" I go, "It's not a good time. Everybody's loaded, drunk. It was like a Friday or Saturday night. I said, it's not a good time." I go, "She goes, well, how about Wednesday?" I go, "I'll be here." And so I showed up, and I'll never forget this experience. I'd probably be there's probably 40, 50 people and I show up and I've got like, there's a place that makes these giant, giant pizzas. And I got like six of them. And I come up and I, and, and they're all gathered there. And I just shout out, I go, it's Kendra here. And they all knew her, you know, and they're like, no, she's not here. And so one of them's on her cell, his cell phone trying to get a hold of her. And I, they go, what's the pizzas for? I go, well, it's for you. I said, Kendra said I could come down here and share food with everybody and, and, and share a story, a parable. And they go, go for it, man. And so I'll never forget. There was, there was three biker dudes that I'm, I'm starting to get into this, this parable and, and, uh, and they show up and they've got the leather hats and the vests and their chains and, and their the big chain, everything that goes along with a biker, you know, the boots and everything. And they, they stalled and they listened through the whole thing. And, and, and I could tell that the Holy spirit was working on those guys, you know, because I've worked with the public for 33 years in retail. And, you know, I, I, I watch people's expressions and I've dealt with, you know, uh, we have a joyous business, but you know, still, you know, I deal with every kind of customer there is. And I could tell the Lord was really working on these guys. And I could also tell when I got towards the end, you know, I was like, look, you know, when I, when I finished and I'm like, if anybody wants to give their heart and life to the Lord, or, you know, if you just need prayer, you know, and I see these guys are picking up, you know, they're picking up and they're like, okay, we see where this is going, you know, but, but still I could, I could tell the Lord really, really touched them. I mean, if no other time that they'd ever heard the gospel, I mean, you know, it was simple and straightforward and, and to the point. 
you know, after I told my parable and I could tell that they were touched. Um, it meant everything, you know, and it, and it just, you know, I've been a hunter and a passionate bow hunter my whole life. We just got back from a trip in Maui. It was great, you know, shot one of the largest axis deer. And I've been over there before. But what trumped that whole trip was, and I'll share this, and 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 then I'll let you ask another question because I can ramble. But anyway, I I went up in the morning really early up into this area, and uh, and I shot a I shot a hog. There's lots of there's lots of pigs and goats and and axis deer on Maui. It's 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 just a, it, there's no predators really. I mean, pigs are kind of a predator, but until you hunt in an island that has lush vegetation and habitat, you've never seen populations of game like this. And so, you know, I, I went in about three miles in the dark and it gets daylight. It's not long. And I'm into a group of pigs and there's this cool looking pig and wound up arrowing it and, and butchering it, and getting it on my pack <laughs> and, and wound up calling my wife. And she's like, where are you? We want to go to the beach, you know? And so I'm in a rush getting out of there. So I'm coming out, I'm going down through this, you know, there's eucalyptus forest and coming down through this private property and, and uh, this eucalyptus forest and everything. And, and I slip and I fall and I've had a bad back since I was a kid, you know, um, as a teenager, I was enamored with motorcycles and wound up with a 350 Kawasaki foot peg in my pelvis when I was like 14 or 15. And there's probably not a day that goes through my life that I don't realize that I did that when I was 14 or 15. And, and, uh, and then every once in a while I'll have an SI joint go out. Well, I rarely have ever packed meat and ever had this happen, but I fell real bad and my back went out, you know, and instantly I'm like, okay, Lord, why, why is this happening? You know, it's a question, you know, just a simple question and, 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 a, and a fair one, because, you know, I always believe that something that takes place, a step down is always a step up. And so that day we, you know, I take the girls to go to the beach. I'm suffering. I, you know, I run up and down the beach a few times because running's always an aid um, to, to, to fix my SI joint. And I get it loosened up a little bit, but I, I'm in pain. And I, even that morning, I was looking for a chiropractor. They're all closed. It was a Thursday. <laughs> They're all closed on Thursdays. And so it's not a, not a choice to go try to get straightened up and fixed. So I got the girls pushing on me and, and trying to snap my, my, my back back in and, and so we drive to Paella and it's just packed with people, tourists everywhere. No, the girls are like, we don't want to get out and look around here. Okay. So we drive up to Makawa and there's nobody there. And we're going through Makawa and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, girls, you want to, you want to go check out all the shops? And it's my daughter and my wife, my youngest daughter and my wife. And, and she, my youngest daughter is still at home last year, high school. So we took her on the vacation and, um, so I pull in this parking lot and I, I noticed there's some, there's, there's homeless everywhere, but in, in Maui, which never was before pandemic. And, uh, and so I noticed some guys, you know, sitting on a curb and, uh, and so I go and park and, and the girls are like, okay, we're going to go, you're going to just sit in the truck cause I'm suffering. And like, yeah. And, and so I sit there a little bit and Lord's like, but looking at your phone, get up and go talk to those guys. And hmm. so, you know, I get out of the truck and, and the whole back thing is kind of an intro to these guys. Cause I walk up and one guy is just, he's comatose. I mean, he's laying on the lawn and he ain't moving. He's passed out. And there's another younger guy sitting there 
and he's got bags and backpack. He's got everything, you know, and he's got three big knives on his belt. You would be, you know, just from all appearances, he looks pretty intimidating. I'm in so much pain with my back. I'm like, not intimidated. I mean, it's like, you know, most of the time there would be some sense of caution. And I walk right up to this fella and he's sitting on the curb and he stands up for a second. I go, I care if I sit down with him. And he's like, no, go ahead, man. And so I sit down. I'm like, oh, go, my back is killing me. He goes, how'd you hurt your back? And so I tell him, he's like, oh, you're up hog hunting. Yeah, yeah. So, and so we just start this conversation. And of course, Easter had just taken place. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm like, there you go. The Lord's like, talk to him about Easter, you know? So I was like, I was like, you know, just had Easter. I go, just celebrate Easter. I go, Easter's kind of, you know, Lord's risen. And he's like, because I, because I, I, because I can, I, I can agree with that, you know? And so then we started talking, this, this, this fellow's name was James. He's 34 years old. Pandemic hit. He lost his job. Um, just homeless. And he said, I, I want to get, I want to get involved. He goes, I want to get back in the workforce, but he's trying to get motivated. And I wound up just sharing the Lord with him, you know, and just just a simple way and, uh, and got done and, you know, just asked him if I could pray for him, wound up praying with him. And, um, so, you know, we wound up standing when we were praying and I get done and I'm just like, Lord's like, give him a hug. And I go, James, can I, can I give you a hug? And, and this guy hugged me like, like, like nobody hugged him for a while. And I mean, my, my son-in-law, Gabriel Jackson, he has a, he has a, 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 a Instagram site. Um, it's uh, Instagram page. It's, it's, it's called United Hive. And, uh, and I, I, follow, I follow my son-in-law. And he's a good man of God. And he just said one time, he said, if you can't do anything else, just ask people if you can pray for them. And if you can't do anything else, you know, if, if you can pray for them, you can love on them. And, and it's always just simple truth, you know. And, and this James, I mean, he, he hugged me for a period of time. And it, it, he's, he's just, it's like just that bond, that just that short bond. And I told him, I go, James, I may never see you again. But I go, if my whole vacation was just pointed to this moment just to share with you. It was worth everything. And it was probably the, the greatest purpose of my nine-day vacation in Maui. And I look up and, you know, when I was still hugging him, I look up and my wife and my daughter are walking. The truck's parked down this parking lot. <laughs> I can see my daughters telling my wife. And my wife doesn't march to my same drum on any of this, um, by the way. she not very supportive on it. <laughs> I can see my daughter's like, dad's how good a homeless guy that's got a lot of knives on his belt. <laughs> and that was worth the price of admission. And my wife, it was funny. I got in the truck and, and, and she didn't really even ask me about it. <laughs> and I just, I just kind of, like, it's like, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> and she doesn't even want to know about it really. <laughs> so you know, Wayne, I to know my wife. Um, but it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it just things like that, just, you know, it's, it's, it's just drives me, I guess. And, you know, it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be, you know, anything, but just the Lord moving in people's lives in small ways. It just, if you're a fisherman, you tell fishing stories, 
if you're a hunter, you tell hunting stories. If you love the Lord, you're a fisherman and you tell fishing stories. So there's some fishing stories. I, it's the greatest. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that because one of the, one of the final questions I was going to ask you was how can we be bolder? And I think you answered it before I asked it where, you know, in, in your, in your summation just then, but having a, a, a willingness and openness as Christians to ask someone to, that we, can we pray for you? And who knows where the, who knows where the conversation, you know, goes, you know, from there. And you've, you've built an amazing life. I mean, from where, from where you came from growing up with, uh, with, with a, a dad who effectively rebuked the church to you, the word you used was possession to getting saved, to having a marriage that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. I mean, we never get married to get divorced and right. I, I'm in the, I'm in that same boat. And then you met, you, you buy the bow rack, you meet Lisa and you have five kids and uh, five grandkids and six on the way. I mean, it, it's a, it's a remarkable life. And I yeah. want to, I want to compliment you for it. And certainly as a brother in Christ, thank you for all the wonderful uh, work you've done and moments you've had with, with people to, if nothing else, expose them to our Lord and Savior. Yeah. And, you know, it, a word of humility. I mean, you know, like, like that father-in-law, he was a precious man of God and he passed away. Um, AJ Quinn, um, you know, he was always preferencing his prayers with, you know, you be very careful you know, he would always answer. we will be very careful to give you all the praise and glory. And, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, I really, it doesn't. I mean, you know, uh, you just need to be a willing tool. Yeah, it's not it, it's it's not my credit to take. It's not. Right. You know, and, and so and it's always hard. You know, it, it's just who it, if you're willing, you know, God's going to it's a reasonable service. Right. It's our reasonable right. service. Um, so, but it's still, it's great fishing stories because there's a lot of fishing stories in the new Testament, you know, um, Peter and Paul and, and Peter, Paul and James, I mean, everything that they wrote about all the churches, everything that they experienced, you know, whether they were rebuking them, I, I marveled on how quick you adopted another gospel, right? You know, Paul's just like, he's either rebuking or he's, he's admonishing them or whatever, but they're still fishing stories. I mean, you know, he's like, you know, there's good ones, there's bad ones, you know? And, and, you know, I think all of us, you know, um, when we stand before our Lord, you know, there's, it's going to be some fishing stories, you know? Um, yes, sir. And, uh, and that's worth everything, you know, and, uh, and he's blessed us with an awesome life, you know, to, to be able to do that. I remember when, you know, and everybody in, in life and your walk in Christ, you know, if you're sharing with people, I remember when I was younger, like those years, I said that anybody that would listen, you know, I would talk to them. I didn't have a foundation. I wasn't patient. I would pull right into anything like, like an elephant in a China cabinet. And if there was anything off color with their, with their doctrine, which I thought I had doctrine at the time, which I was ignorant to everything. And I thought I did, you know, as a young man, you're prideful and all those things, you know, I think now that my hourglass is on the bottom half of it and, and I heard something, um, 
YouTube University is awesome. And, you know, whether it's Paul Washer, if you want good sandpaper, you watch Paul Washer. Or, or if you, you know, just somebody I've been just really watching and I love the guy is, uh, is Richard Ellis. Richard Ellis talks on YouTube. He's awesome. Um, you know, these men kind of ground you and everything, you, you, you know, and it's always good. It's good feed. It's a good feeding zone, you know, outside of your local church, you know, that, that I attend, you know, but, you know, all that to say, you know, patience and, and then listening and then being, being, you know, be patient with sharing with somebody. I mean, I have a lot of Mormon friends and I love those guys to death and, and everything. The Lord just like, there's been times that I just wanted to, you know, cause I think I know a bit about their doctrine and there's times I just want to run them over and the Lord just like love them. And so I've, and I love these guys. I just love on them. And then there's been opportunities to share, you know, and, uh, and anyway, that's, that's in a nutshell, you know, kind of who I am and, and the direction and the time period in my life. But I, I heard, I think I heard Richard Ellis say the other day, you know, everybody has a sense we're in the last days and you hear that last days, last days, he goes, last day is today is one more day closer to your last day. <laughs> so make the most of it, you know, and, and love the Lord and look for those opportunities and, and, and be a, be open to be a tool in, 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 in the master's hand. Well, that, that's, that's really, really well stated. So as we put a wrap on this, Wayne, would you mind, would you mind closing us out in prayer? Heavenly father, Lord, we love you so much. And, and Lord Jesus, just thank you for the opportunity to, to share our faith and, and to share it on a platform that, you know, others can view and, and, uh, and Lord, just, you're just a wonderful, kind, merciful, kind God. And we just thank you so much for the wisdom you impart to us and, and, and just taking care of us as your children. And, and that this life, <clears throat> it has its bumps and it builds character. And, and Lord, you've definitely built character in, in us, your children. And, uh, just pray that you just make us more effective tools and that if, if anybody that listens to this or that they can be of a benefit, hopefully this benefited, you know, somebody somewhere and touched them. And Lord, we just thank you. We love you and just pray. That, and we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and glory in everything we do. It's not our credit to take. And, and, and thank you for imprinting that humility on our heart. And we're thankful for you, Jesus. And, just ask your blessing on on our day and on this podcast and and uh, and on Ed for allowing me to have this time to share in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. If Wayne. you are ever in Springfield, Oregon, Ed, swing by. I we've got a farm. We have a guest house. You know, you're you're welcome. I really Take appreciate time. it. Come come visit. Oregon's great. You know, about May through. October. It's a great, great, great state to visit. It's, it's a lot of fun, beauty. The Lord really designed this place with a lot of beauty. So come visit sometime. Uh, I, I'll, I'll plan on it, um, especially considering that uh, we're about ready to enter the uh, summer in Arizona. And yeah. it, uh, well, every rumor about it being hot is, is true. So right. continued success continued blessings. Thank you so much, Wayne, for, uh, for joining this conversation today. I really appreciate it. Hey, you bet. You bet. Have a great day. God bless. Bless.
You can contact the show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.